Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode of After Work Drinks is brought to you by Dan Murphy's and their brand spanking new seltzer range. I am so excited about this partnership because, as you know, Grace, I was drinking seltzers all month while I was in L.A., Everyone drinks them over there. And now Australia is catching on with Dan Murphy's stocking a whole bunch of amazing seltzer brands, including Liberty Coast, Rainbird, and Hint. So until recently, I had never even heard of a seltzer. So can you please enlighten our listeners as to what they are and why they are so popular? Basically, a seltzer is an alcoholic sparkling water. So it's usually made with a neutral spirit like a vodka and they're super light and super refreshing and incredibly delicious. And that's why we're recording this episode with a can in hand. Cheers. 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 Welcome to After Work Drinks, the weekly catch-up between best friends and magazine editors Isabel Truman and Grace O'Neill that you get to join in on. Lucky you. Do you know that I find myself getting much more of an Australian accent when I'm around you? Really? And I notice it's the you. So just then when I'm like that, you, that's you. Australian. I've started saying A all the time because of you, which is like a weird thing because we've been friends for so long and I've just picked it up. And now I say it about everything. It's like say, the worst Kiwi slang as well. Yeah. I'll be like, yeah, it's pretty good, eh? Or like, I don't like why. It sounds like an Aussie slang thing, but it's a Kiwi thing. And yeah. I say it all the time. Yeah. It's a funny one. I want to get an, a, a partial English accent over here. Actually, something funny to talk about is people that come and move to London who are Australian and have like full-blown quote-unquote British accents in like two years. It's so ridiculous. I know, but that's what I'm scared about because we'll never get, it will never sound good. It'll just sound like we're putting it on. Forced. But my thing is that like my parents are both English. So yeah, I've, been, you... I've grown up around English accents. Actually, we can play an audio clip of me as a baby <laughs> with a full Cockney, like Oliver Twist, chimney sweep English accent. Yeah. When I was like three, and I moved to Australia. Tell them what you can see then. You got some McDonald's. You don't like McDonald's, do you? Yeah. No. I don't like McDonald's. Um, but I'm like, if I'm around English people all the time, my grandparents English, my auntie and uncle English. I've never picked up anything resembling an English accent. So I think when Australians do it, it's fake. Oh yeah. 
people really put it on. Like, you remember we met someone and they were like, oh, what? Blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh, I've lived here for two years on the working visa. <laughs> I know. That's me in Australia. <laughs> Do people in New Zealand think that you've picked up an Australian accent? Yeah. Right. Which is funny. Interesting. I know, you'll see me, you'll like, literally me next month on the podcast. I'll be like, you're right, mate. Yes. <laughs> what? Um, I'm very glad again, once again, that we are reunited and sitting together drinking. We've had like so many people message us just saying the podcast sounds so much more happy. Who would have thought <laughs> when that we're like together? doing it on international time zones away from each other would make it less good? I know. So thank God. Thank God. Um, so let's get into it. I was just trying to rack my brain to think of show recommendations, but I've just been re-watching Shit's Creek, so I have nothing for you. <laughs> but what I do have is, um, speaking of New Zealand, a skincare recommendation. Mm-hmm. So when I was home, I was recommended by so many people this brand called Emma Lewisham. And it was only started last year. So she started it in 2019 because when she was pregnant she went to the doctor and the doctor was like you can't use she thought she used really natural organic products and the doctor was like you can't use this product during pregnancy Mm. and then so she looked into it way deeper and found out that um heaps of the products that label themselves as being clean and natural and organic are not really because the regulations haven't been updated for fucking forever just quickly on that there's so much random shit you can't do when you're pregnant I know. What, what is up with that? I remember the first time an adult friend of mine got pregnant. And by that, I just mean in like a planned, like thought out, grown up way, not um, like the accidental teen pregnancies of my school years. And she was like, oh, I just can't eat sushi anymore. I'm really going to miss oysters. I was like, what the fuck? That's so random. Oh, there's way weirder stuff than fish. There's like, there's so much stuff. You can't have little sprouts. You know, there's like alfalfa sprouts. Mm. You can't have them. Like there's so many random things. Um, that's how I figured out my workmate was pregnant because she couldn't have the sandwich that we always used to get from the. Really? I was like, eat it, Anna. <laughs> she was like, no. You were like Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> to um, Mariah Carey with the alcohol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with alfalfa sprouts. It's so weird. Anyway, so it's like blowing my mind even that there's like skincare products you can't use when you're pregnant. That's just awful. Yeah. You don't have it hard enough. Yeah. So then Emma Lewisham went away for three years and then created these products that are 100% clean and naturally derived. So they're actually completely safe to use while pregnant. They're super clean and they work so well. So the skin reset serum that I have been using, because I've got um, pigmentation, lots of freckles, and I don't really mind them, but they get way darker in summer, which is really annoying. And I've been using that skin reset serum and it outperformed drunk elephants, vitamin C serum mm. and outperformed Sunday Riley and Lemur for evening out and brightening skin tone. Mm. And it's natural. So I'm obsessed with it. And I also been, I've been using the serum and the, the moisturizer, which has SPF in it and the SPF on the body. So that's my one recommendation for this week. Nice. We love a skincare wreck, as our Facebook group knows. Yeah. That's After Work Drinks Podcast, the Facebook group. Which we never use. Which but... we, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of skincare threads in there. Yes. So, nice recommendation, Izzy. I have to recommend something that, like, somehow sort of links to that, which is an article in The Cut. It's called Are You Aging Correctly? by Heather Havrileski, who is Ask Polly, who is so smart and such a good writer. Mm-hmm. And she wrote about 
going to a wedding where like multiple people pointed out that she looked so much older than the last time she's seen them. And I just, my first thought was who are these people to actually say that, but she used it as a thing to write about the process of aging and how, especially after having children, women are just expected to not look as if anything's happened. So there's like a really great line where she says, I think about how growing old gracefully really means either disappearing or sticking around, but always lying straight to people's faces about the feel about the strength of your feelings and desires. And I feel like that's such a good depiction of like the two things that you do when you age, you either just lean into it and agree to become invisible to society to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. or you're constantly fighting against it. And then giving the impression that you're not like secretly, you know what I mean? Secretly getting fillers or secretly doing a crazy amount of exercise or whatever it is. Yeah. It's like either deception or fading into the background. Yeah. And I love how she was just like, cause this is what I always think about all the time in general is that whole element of like, I just don't give a fuck. Like I just don't give a fuck mm-hmm. about looking nice when I go to the supermarket or I don't give a fuck about looking like, posting photos where you look particularly good versus posting photos where you're just having fun and who cares. And then she was saying that she was like, yeah, I know that I I had gained a few pounds and my hair had turned frizzy after my second pregnancy, but I still felt good about myself. And then she was like, now I'm living this nightmare where you're in class and you look down and you're not wearing any pants and you're just cluelessly acting like your usual self while everyone's looking at you thinking you look crap. I'm like, I worry about that all the time. (laughs) I know, but this is the thing. It's like, Um, we both read Raven Smith's book, Trivial Pursuits recently, and he has a whole chapter on letting yourself go, quote unquote, and how it's this like constant battle to do something which you know other people are going to notice and either talk about behind the scenes or talk about to think because we live in such a superficial, horrible society and you kind of just have to make a decision that you don't care about that. But it's like such a big thing to act like you don't care about because it's kind of anti being a person. I know. You want people to think of, like, you might not want people to think of you as desirable, but there's, like, a link, I think, between letting yourself go as being, like, a laziness. Mm. Like, you haven't tried, and we live in a society where you should try. So it's this horrible, like, even that phrase, letting yourself go, is so awful. Yeah, or when people assume that if someone's gained weight, it's because they're not looking after themselves, when it could be because they're literally doing the exact opposite and for the first time looking after themselves eating food that their body needs not malnourishing themselves it's a thing as well when you um become sober and quit drugs for a long time that you tend to put on weight Mm. and it's actually a sign that you're the healthiest you've been in ages but we yeah there are so many like messed up yeah because it's like so many people's actual body shapes are not thin and if you're Mm. struggling to look a specific way then you're not giving your body the nutrients it needs and then people think that you're like not looking after yourself if you gain weight or just whatever it is it's so it's so crazy how obsessed we are with beauty like I remember ages ago I I feel like I talked about this potentially on the podcast but me and my ex-boyfriend were walking around the park and I was like it's just so crazy how we're so obsessed with beauty in the world Mm -hmm. that beautiful people get so much more like it's it's literally like if you're trying to not care about beauty and if you're trying to just be like oh it's fine I've gained a few pounds or I'm not looking after my hair as much or I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that it literally negatively impacts like your chances of getting a pay rise of getting an apartment of Mm -hmm. like literal money and success Mm -hmm. based off your looks which is just so wild and I was saying that it's I was just like it's so crazy how just really really ridiculously beautiful women or men just get 
so much more, even if they're trying half as hard. Like, like girls who now get jobs, who get jobs in journalism or whatever, because they have a big Instagram following or because they look the part. Like girls in fashion, which is, um, I was kind of talking in particular in our industry, girls in fashion will get jobs above people who have way more experience because they have the right wardrobe or because they have the right face to look like the brand. And I was like, that's unfair. And my ex-boyfriend was like, I don't think that's right. And I was like, there's literal studies on this. And that's why we broke up. And there's this book actually that I just bought and started reading. Now we're talking about it called Perfect Me, Beauty is an Ethical Ideal by Heather Widows. And I bought it because Gia Tolentino talks about it in Trick Mirror. And she's a philosopher and she's literally arguing that beauty, the pursuit of beauty has become like an ethical pursuit. Like you're seen as a good person if you exercise regularly, if you keep your like hair dyed on time, if you have a nice wardrobe, if you have beautiful skin, if you have a youthful face and glow, like all of these things that are basically just about being more beautiful have become like moral pursuits in a way where it's like aligned with being a quote unquote good person is to take care of yourself physically it's like such a creepy weird thing yeah like the wellness thing yeah yeah exactly yeah. but then also taking care of yourself in a way that it doesn't look like you're taking care of yourself so mm-hmm. taking care of your skin with all of these different products so that you don't have to wear makeup to look effortless and they've linked all of these things to being mindful and caring about the environment and being a good mother and being present and being all of these things which we should be aspiring to as humans when wanting to be better humans have now become linked to wanting to be better looking Mm. and it's like so much more nefarious and hard to separate than it was to just have a billboard for like l'oreal in 2001 being like wear lipstick or you're ugly like you know what i mean now it's like so much more complicated and then it also makes you feel like absolute shit if so for example we talked about this a while ago but for example like if you're if you get a skin breakout then you feel like people look at you like you don't look after yourself as if you are unhealthy or you're not eating right or you're just gross because you're getting a fucking breakout on your face because this is how we've linked it to being like well and healthy that's what i mean now it's become this actual like showcase of your like ethics as a person whether you look the way that you're supposed to because it's supposed to link to all of these things it's like your external appearance is now supposed to be linked to what you're like inside as a person Mm. when it's so crazy because if you were actually all the things that wellness tells you to be which is like at one with yourself present like having the right priorities blah 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 then you wouldn't put time this much time into how you look externally but now our culture of wellness has like made those two things seem like they're connected yeah it's wild do you know what else is wild is that donald trump the president of the united states wrote off Seventy thousand US dollars on his disgusting bleach blonde <laughs> hair, excuse for hair, <laughs> on his head, and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez got shit from Republicans just last year for spending two hundred and fifty dollars on her birthday for getting a cut in color. And if she, for one, you can't really get a cut in you color. You cannot get a cut in for a good cut in color two hundred dollars. Like, like good luck. Let is, me know. That is yeah. cheap. Yeah. And secondly, like if she didn't get her hair done, then everyone would be giving her shit for looking disheveled and not being like onto it enough. Like 
and not being a presentable representative yeah. in Congress if she had like grey roots and like Didn't uh, split head, ends and things. Exactly. It's such a thing. I, just on that, I do not understand how anyone can spend $70,000 a year on their hair. Well, Say nothing not. of a man with not much hair. Well, he's obviously just, it's a literal tax fraud. <laughs> Don't quote me on that, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, I was trying to think of a celebrity, a massive female celebrity, like Blake Lively or Natalie Portman, who have to get their hair done every time they're on the red carpet, would not even spend a quarter of that on their hair per year. Yeah. It's it's crazy. He's such a messy bitch. I know. And then also how everyone, so people, the one thing that he pulls well in is the economy and he's broke and yes. has been as per his recently released tax returns thank you the new york times yeah. couldn't have come a moment too soon yeah and he's broke and has been not paying taxes he paid 750 us dollars on taxes in the past two years um the michael barbaro like the daily podcast interviewing the journalist who broke this story is really really good because like with so many episodes of The Daily when discussing Trump, they have to kind of keep a straight face when saying these ridiculous stories. And some of it's so funny. The journalist is like, like you, Michael, would have paid more income tax this month than the president has paid in the past two years. And he's supposedly a billionaire. And I was just like laughing out loud. The way, Yeah, the way they put it. Because I, yeah. I was laughing out loud today when I was listening to it. And um. Yeah, Michael Barbaro. I don't know if you guys don't listen to The Daily. He's quite iconic because he, I don't know, like the the theme song, there's been TikTok dances to it. He's just <laughs> iconic how he does that. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> and um, and he, he was asking about like whether this guy thinks it's fair that um, a conservative Catholic judge might replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. And um, the guy was like, no, I don't think it's fair at all. And Michael goes, hmm. <laughs> I was like, it's so good. He's like, you'd almost say that was completely unfair, wouldn't you? But they like can't say it directly. It's yeah. so funny. Um, okay, on to a little bit of juicy celeb goss. So I recently followed, I can't even remember when, I think it was like a drunk follow because it just started popping up on my account. I was like, what's happening here? This Instagram account called Dumoi, about D-E-U-X-M-O-I. It's private, so you have to request but basically some of it so basically it's like an account that people submit gossip about celebrities to and then they just post the private dms so i am very much into it and i was looking at it the other so there's been a lot of juicy goss obviously all of it's like unconfirmed and all of it is you can't um what is the word? All of it's unconfirmed and like... Not fact-checked. Yeah, yeah, not fact-checked. So it's literally gossip. But it's so interesting. But a few of the, the... The worst one was that people kept submitting things saying that they'd worked with the love of my life, Julia Roberts, and that she was mean. <laughs> was Difficult so to sad. work with. And I was like, I have heard this before in like Reddit threads slash just secondhand gossip, but I never wanted to tell Izzy because... um. I didn't want to break her heart. Yeah, that makes me really sad. I mean, I'm always, like, reticent to believe anything that calls, like, women high maintenance because I think sometimes that can just be them acting like men and getting um, shit for it. But read the comments for yourselves and decide. (laughs) Yeah. And then the one that I absolutely loved was that someone submitted 
saying that they were at a restaurant in Laurel Canyon, Los Angeles, sitting beside Tracy Ellis Ross and Harry Styles, allegedly. And allegedly, they were on a date. And allegedly, they were talking about the wildest places that ever had sex. And allegedly, they were joking about going to the bathroom of the restaurant together. I love this coupling, if it's real. Yes. Um, It's like the most underlined F of all time. Yes. But then, more goss. So then someone else saw that DM thread and then they sent in a photo that they'd taken of Tracy Ellis Ross and Harry Styles backstage at his concert in LA which is then leads on to when they were on the Late Late Show with James Corden and Harry Styles was hosting and Kendall Jenner was there so we were all just um, distracted by that. That was actually when I realised that was the time that I realised I loved Harry Styles Mm -hmm. because then I played that game where they and I watched him and heard him talk for the first time so Mm -hmm. there we are and when they were on the Late Late Show. Tracy Ellis Ross was a guest and Harry was interviewing her. And she said that Harry had slid into her DMs back then. So that was December 2019. And then she was spotted at his show in December 2019. And then she was spotted like in like February or March, allegedly, on this date. But she was like, yeah, Harry Styles started liking all my photos and then they started um, DMing and he asked if she wanted to come to his concert and she said yes and then she obviously went to the concert because there's photos of her there and then apparently they went on a date. Such a great combo. If into that happened, it. Like, Very would be into so it. into it. It would be absolutely fantastic and like quite on brand for Harry, mm-hmm. I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, Really hope it's true. Hope we hear more about them. Same. Ear to the ground, everyone. Let us know any tips. Yeah. <laughs> Send them straight to me instead of to this account. Yes, exactly. Another amazing thing that we love to see, slash love to see this week, was Lizzo on the cover of US Vogue, right where she belongs. And, and it was shot by a black photographer and styled by a black stylist, which made me very happy. Yeah, she is a queen. I also loved seeing Megan Thee Stallion on the cover of Time which is mm. very iconic. Um, but yeah, Lizzo, um, I loved the interview and how she was just saying that she um, thinks it's lazy now to say that she's body positive at this point. And also, how annoying would it be for you to just be big or fat or whatever the terminology is that people like to use and for people just to to slap on you that you're this body positive icon you would just say like, i'm literally just living mm-hmm. i'm just being myself and you're saying that i'm, I'm... just positive <laughs> yeah, yeah, or yeah. i'm just a person mm-hmm. and you're saying that because i'm a person that exists that's not in your standards that i have to be fighting for this cause and then she said that um she wants to be body normative and so she wants to normalize her body and for it not to just be like oh look at this big cool movement um, being fat is positive and she's like no being fat is just normal it is just this dilemma that journalists face I guess but I was almost disappointed when I got to the part in the profile where they discussed her body because I thought it was so cool that they'd gotten 85% through without discussing it because I was like yes I just don't want this to feel like a factor in the discussion yeah. and then it felt like she didn't really want to talk about it either and I was like I wish this, I wish this just wasn't discussed but at the same time it's like the first time that a fat black woman has been on the cover of Vogue. Which so, is crazy. Which is insane, but like, I guess not entirely unexpected. So it's like, you do want to, it's like I interviewed Ashley Graham for the cover of Harper's Bazaar Australia. And I remember talking to her about how I felt really conflicted about even talking about her body because it felt quite inappropriate to talk about. And I didn't like that being 
the crux of what she was known for or the crux of why people wanted to talk to her. But at the same time, it's like all the things she's done are more remarkable and impressive because we do live in a culture that like obsesses over thinness. Mm. So it's kind of that like balancing act where. And what did she say about it? She's like very diplomatic. So she was just like, no, it's fine. I love talking about it. I love that I get so many women who message me and tell me that I'm making a difference in their lives. I don't care if I have to talk about my body to make people feel better. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. But I was like, it would be disappointing that there's this inevitable skew to every single interview you do that's about your body in a way that like no other models have to deal with. Mm. I also find it annoying how people always use Lizzo as an example of saying you can't be fat but be fit like because mm. it, because obviously Lizzo's so fit she's like an athlete mm-hmm. with what she does on stage but because people can't think of like any other person like they're so mm. lazy to think of any other person they're like oh you can be fat and athletic look, look at, at Lizzo, Lizzo. Look at <laughs> Lizzo. <laughs> like, oh, surely yeah. there's fucking other people I don't know it feels like quite long overdue for her to be on the cover of something like Vogue but I guess cool that it's happening now on to Megan and Harry who have been popping up a bit recently mm. after their little move to LA, which is still so funny. Like, I was thinking about it the other day, how it has been such a year that we have forgotten that Meghan Markle and Prince Harry literally left the monarchy, moved to LA with their baby, mm-hmm. who the Queen apparently hasn't seen in ages, um, had this huge feud with the Queen because they announced it on Instagram. Yeah. And had to have that fucking, like... Any other year would be, like, the biggest news story of the year. Yeah. That would have been, yeah. Yeah, and um, what was that summit that they had to have? Sandringham Summit. The Sandringham Summit. And Me then, and Izzy woke up, like, re- like restless on the day it happened. We were like, oh, God, it's happening this morning. I know. It was at 11 a.m. And I was like, God, Harry will be there now. And he'll be so scared. And then Megan didn't even go. She didn't go, so crazy. yeah. That's naughty. Um... Yeah, so I, I find it really wild that they just disappeared off the scene and then now they're kind of coming back in all these rogue ways. Um, they live in Montecito in Santa Barbara, which apparently is where Gwyneth Paltrow lives as well, even though I thought she lived in Malibu, um, and Ariana Grande, and apparently Lady Gaga. Santa Barbara is so beautiful. It's mm-hmm. like the coolest little town. Mm-hmm. But um, they live there, and then they've been doing some odd bits and bobs around the house, popping up and on Zoom calls and showing off their very the Tig style interiors, mm-hmm. beige, diptyque candles, mm-hmm. the whole shebang. Leather pants. Um, so the worst thing that's ever happened to me happened this week where I agreed with a Pierce Morgan op-ed, which was very um, confronting and upsetting. But Megan and Harry... They spoke out about the U.S. election from their backyard and they didn't like directly endorse Donald Trump. But the whole way they were speaking, it was like very, very obvious that they were saying this is the election where we're fighting for our lives and you need to make the right decision. And um, so much is on the line if you don't vote the right way and blah, blah, blah. So it was like a very obvious coded message in support of the Democrats, which... which- like, which would be fine, but it's uh, – Piers Morgan was basically saying – and again, I hate that it's Piers Morgan who said this, um, and he criticizes anything Megan does and he sucks. But firstly, Harry can't vote in the US election. Secondly, royals are, like, historically going back forever, not supposed to have any say in politics. It's, like, the number one biggest thing about being a royal. Like, but that, yeah, that's literally why the Queen is allowed to still be the Queen in yes, England. Because exactly. they have that relationship. If you've watched... Have you watched The Crown? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
love, love the, the crown. crown. <laughs> love the crown. But how, yeah, it's literally like the Queen has to meet every single new Prime Minister of England and they have to agree to never try to influence politics or they will get kicked the fuck out. And what um, this op-ed basically said was just the fact that like Harry and Meghan have very aggressively tried to keep on to their royal titles and they have very aggressively tried to use that as part of their personal branding. So the Queen has basically given this new system a test run for a year, which I didn't realize. And in a year they're going to review how it's been them being not full-time members of the royal family as it stands they have their royal titles still but she could decide to revoke them after a year and they're basically a lot of the criticism is saying that they should have them revoked because they've been dabbling in politics which is like the biggest no-no for royals but it just made me think about the fact that harry and megan's leaving of the royal family was celebrated by people because it was seen as like a very modern decision to step away from like a very old-fashioned and potentially racist institution. And I think that it's actually quite confused now what they're deciding to do with stepping away, which is wanting to hold on to the royal titles. And the royal titles are ridiculous when but you read them out. But it's weird that they want to hold on to the royal titles because they didn't even give Archie a royal title. So that seems odd to me that they are trying to do that. Like, obviously, they must be. Yeah, because they, they what do you call it? They, um, they tried to get the domain names and all of this branding stuff underway for the Sussex Royal brand name. Yeah. And like the names that Harry has are ridiculous. Like, let me, let me get them up because they are so funny. Um, so Harry, for instance, is still the Prince of the United Kingdom, his Royal Highness, Prince Henry of Wales, the Duke of Sussex, the Earl of Dumbarton and Baron Kilkeel. Megan, meanwhile, is the Princess of the United Kingdom, Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Sussex, the Countess of Dumbarton, and Baroness Kilkeel. So it's like, those are the most ridiculous names ever. I would want to still be a princess. Yeah, but like, the thing that, the thing that justifies people like Kate Middleton and Prince William living this lavish lifestyle in a castle is that they spend literally every single day of their lives going to like, random little bakeries or schools or charitable projects or like doing stuff in the public service and i just think that i do think that it's quite random that they're trying to act like they're these modern uh, like left-wing non-elitist members of the royal family and yet they want to do like none of that stuff they want to live in a 16 bedroom mansion in la and like have $150, $150 million Netflix deals that then still hold on to the titles. Like I do just find it like quite confused in terms of like what they want the public to think of them. Because if you want to come across as down to earth, it just seems to me that you would then not want to be known as like the Baroness of Kilkeel. <laughs> no one wants to be the Baroness. Who would, who would ever want to be a Baroness of, and especially of Kilkeel, wherever that is. Wherever that is. But I, do, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And I find it odd. I find, I think that in my, how I've thought of this whole thing is basically that Megan tried to move to England with Harry and tried to, assimilate into that life Mm -hmm. and then britain was fucking horrible and racist Mm -hmm. apparently she wasn't getting along with the royals and would have felt so isolated london weather grim Mm -hmm. hard enough as it is moved here in winter (laughs) let alone the whole country being racist towards you um 
So then they moved to LA for her mental health, I think. Mm-hmm. But then I do think that I don't know how considered their career has been in this, which is which does seem confusing. Like the Netflix deal felt confusing to me. The weird um, Dancing with the Stars or America's Got Talent. There was mm-hmm. something, the recent thing where you saw the Diptyque Candle, which was like my main focus was some weird America's Got Talent or Dancing with the Stars or something where they popped on to say um, that they were supporting a contestant, mm-hmm. which was quite weird. It was that random conference they went to in like Miami and mm-hmm. they got paid heaps of money for speaking at, but there were no phones or anything. So they were obviously trying to for that to not make the news. And it barely did make the news. That was right mm-hmm. when they first moved to LA, got heaps of money, then have done this Netflix deal. And then, yeah, they're speaking out about politics, which obviously I am stoked about because I would – hate for trump to get in again so it's great but it just does feel very like i don't even know what they think their careers are gonna be now exactly and i just think all of the things that they were doing now we would be applauding if they weren't at odds with this insistence on keeping these like very old school strange royal titles i just think that they're trying to position themselves as being these very modern celebrities that find the shackles of the royal family limiting and old-fashioned and not relevant to modern life which is completely fair enough and fine but then to insist that you still want those titles because you're trying to use them as leverage to book multi-million dollar deals just feels like the opposite of why they were supposed to be leaving in the first place and why the public is rooting for them yeah that's very true Grace, how is that drink going in your hand, which is definitely on brand for AWD? Delicious. I may or may not be drinking a Liberty Coast Raspberry Seltzer right now. Divine. Meanwhile, I'm drinking a Hint Seltzer, which is made with New Zealand natural vodka and then just citrus and sparkling water. And it's just that. And it's so bloody refreshing. So refreshing. Perfect for the Australian summer, which is, believe it or not, right around the corner. Yeah, seltzers are literally all anyone drinks in LA. So while I was there for the whole month, I was just drinking seltzers. You take them to the beach. I'm holding them in that picture when i went boogie boarding a very iconic image and because seltzers are very la they also contain no gluten and no artificial sweeteners and the one i'm drinking right now which is by liberty coast clocks in at a very cool 63 calories per can we've been doing a lot of taste testing over the past couple of weeks because it's a very hard life but someone has to do it and over that time we've realized that seltzers do differ quite a bit from brand to brand and flavor to flavor so it's worth Try a bunch to find your perfect match, just like Bumble and Hinge. If there's anything we know, Izzy, it's a trend when we see one, and we both believe that seltzers are going to be incredibly in vogue in Australia this summer. Okay, Miranda Priestley. But yes, Dan Murphy's does have the widest range of seltzers available in the country, so why not pop into a store near you or go online to www.danmurphys.com.au to try some today. Cheers. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. On to the uh, documentary that we watched a little bit late, may I add, mm-hmm. but stoked we both did. Um, Paris Hilton's documentary, This Is Paris, which was randomly released on YouTube. Um, mm. which feels strange, but it is all about, so it's, it's basically the most unscripted and honest she's ever been on, ever been to the press. And it also features her mom and her sister who never does interviews as well. And basically it follows the past couple of years in Paris Hilton's life, but also talks about her childhood and like how she is the way she is today. And it kind of brings into question things like the way we reacted to her sex tape, the way we reacted to the paparazzi culture around her, and the way we would reframe it if it had happened today. Um, And it also details some pretty horrific emotional and physical abuse she experienced at a reform school when she was a teenager, which she'd never spoken about before. Yeah, this documentary is so fascinating and I feel like I'm still trying to wrap my head around it fully because so many parts of how it was done are confusing so many parts of it are fascinating and amazing and it feels like it could have been better executed maybe in a different filmmaker's hands because I think her best friend directed it it's obviously being created by Paris Hilton's team as a branding exercise for Paris Hilton which means that a lot of the touching interesting emotional moments as you're going through it it doesn't mean that they're not real but it just means you constantly have a thing in the back of your head of knowing that this is something that has been created by her to pivot her branding a certain way Mm. i watched it and was kind of like i wonder why she wanted to make this and i wonder why she wanted to make it now i agree because it has been ages but i think i think honestly she probably has seen the way or people have probably been talking to her about the way we react to things today versus the way we reacted to things in her day Mm. and her sex tape Mm. was released without her consent when she was she filmed it when she was 18 years old with her first love her first boyfriend and he released it without her consent and then it went viral and all anyone did tv like tv show hosts the media everyone just laughed at this little 18 year old girl she compared the experience of the sex tape going viral as being digitally raped and i think it is a very important and very interesting thing to reassess how we reacted to it then versus how we react to things now for example that massive iCloud leak a few years ago where a lot of celebrities were involved it was seen as this horrible despicable criminal activity and the people responsible were sent to jail and everyone applauded that. And there was this moral thing of no one should be looking at these images. No one should be looking at these videos. It's this horrific thing that's happened. Horrific sexist thing that has happened to these young women. And yet with her, she was just fucking fair game. Or a perfect illustration of this is the other week when Chris Evans accidentally leaked his own dick pic to the world, which is just so 
crazy mm-hmm. and he, because he was filming a game of heads up that he was playing with his family and then the iphone screen recording went to his camera roll and on his camera roll was a dick pic and also which is almost more incriminating is that there was a photo of him in his camera roll with the words guard that pussy over top so he'd, he'd it was a kind of getty images type photo of his head with the word guard that pussy over the top in his camera roll which is crazy. That is crazy. It's so... Who is he messaging? I don't know. Oh. But he had that on his camera roll. So he was sending that and this dick pic to someone. And apparently he's dating Lily yes. James. Lily James, yes. Randomly. So she will be mortified. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when that was leaked, um, his fans were flooding the internet with photos of his dog so that no one would see his dick pics because mm-hmm. we were so worried about someone seeing someone's nudes. And mm-hmm. when Paris Hilton was 18 years old and a tape that she made privately with her boyfriend was leaked, everyone was making jokes about it. It was actually, I didn't realize, um, it was actually only five years after Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton scandal. So it shows how far we still had to go. Yeah, and it's also fascinating because in my own cultural understanding of that sex tape, I have always been of the belief that Paris Hilton leaked that sex tape to build her own profile in the noughties. I literally did not know that this is something that was released without her permission, which shows like how little we cared Mm. (laughs) at the time. And because I guess it was like the prototype for Kim Kardashian, who I think it was seen as like strategically leaked her own sex tape to follow in the pathway of Paris Hilton. I don't know whether or not that is true either, but I think that that has now become the way we talk about Paris Hilton is that she's this like bad role model for young women because she created a prototype for how to become famous that was rooted in these things that now revisiting them 10 to 15 years later, we see were never things that she decided Mm. to do. I know it's pretty horrific. And then it talks all about the paparazzi culture and Mm. how she was essentially the first ever influencer. She was the first person who, well, was she though? Because it's like the paparazzi followed Princess Diana around like crazy. Yeah, I think so. This is Kim Kardashian is interviewed in the documentary and she says that Paris Hilton started the movement of having paparazzi follow your every move. And I think by that she is saying, without directly saying it, that she called the paparazzi and invited the paparazzi to follow her in what she was doing all the time because she liked it. Like I think with Princess Diana, even though she played the media game a bit, majority of the time she wanted to get away from the paparazzi but couldn't whereas i think this is a thing of coordinating with the paparazzi to give them access to everything Mm -hmm. which is now super super common yes so it said this documentary said that at her peak she commanded one million dollars per picture from paparazzi and it turned into a kind of war among the mostly male paparazzos who would get in fist fights with each other and stuff to get the perfect picture because they could get paid $1 million for one afternoon's work if they got the right picture of her. Yeah, it's so wild. And also in the documentary, how a fan runs up to Paris and pushes Kim Kardashian out of the way to try and get a photo with Paris. I was like, that is iconic. It's crazy how Kim went from being her assistant to being Kim Kardashian. And was obviously watching her every move and taking note in a very strategic, intelligent Mm. way. The, the documentary is so interesting because I think it needed a more objective eye on it to make it more um, interesting in the comments that it made. There was like a, a definitely a few parts in it where I felt quite uncomfortable with its depiction of her wealth that didn't 
criticize that obsession with wealth. So there's like quite a gross scene where her Mexican housekeeper is helping her pack and she kind of runs back and like gives her a hug and a little like kiss on the head to thank her before she runs out the door to get in her limo to go to her private jet. And then there's a scene where she just drops a bag full of money on the floor and the taxi and and she's like oh my god like laughing and it's like the way it depicts money and wealth is not critically done it's just shown as like look she's really really rich that's it but it also says look she's really really rich and she she says over and over again i love making money i won't stop till i make a billion dollars i just want to make a billion dollars i just want to make a billion dollars then i'll stop then i'll sleep and then it also did this thing where it shows her traveling the world and she basically it was like i travel all the time to different countries every other day so she she um it showed her being home for 72 hours and then she was jumping on another flight she was constantly traveling constantly jet lagged and they were filming her in her room and she was like oh my god it's two in the morning and i have to get up for makeup at 8 a.m and it was kind of woe is me but you're choosing to do that you're choosing to be that busy this is what you want to do to make a billion dollars so why should we feel sorry for you that you're tired i don't know it just felt a bit a hundred percent that's something that i think was the biggest flaw in the whole thing is that it just it lingered on things in this uncomfortable shallow way where a much a more thoughtful um objective filmmaker could have used those scenes to convey something very interesting but they kind of just hung there (laughs) without much more being said about it and then she said that she hasn't been on a holiday in 20 years until yes. she went on this holiday in Greece with her then boyfriend. And then everyone came out posting photos of her lying all around the beach all around the world. And it's just like you don't you didn't need to include that. Like it's obvious that you work really hard. It's obvious that you've built this empire off your fame. And that's something to be celebrated. You don't have to then buy into this busy burnout culture and say you've never taken a holiday because it's just not true there's photos of you holidaying everywhere i was watching it and i was watching the stuff that she does during her product launches they did a product launch in seoul korea and i just watched it and thought why would anybody choose to do this i wrote this down on my notes app as i was watching it i thought why would anybody who was already worth 300 million us dollars choose to spend 250 days of the year doing this Mm. when they don't have to and that's kind of the problem with the documentary is that it's kind of being like, look how hard she works. She's amazing. She's obsessed with this stuff. And it's like, well, her end goal is to be a billionaire. And we have a cultural climate right now, including this podcast, where we've talked about how billionaires are unethical and how yes. no one should have a billion dollars. So it just feels a little bit strange and tone deaf. There was also kind of a attempt in the documentary, I think, to show her as being this highly, highly intelligent person that's put on this like stupid persona. So it opens with her doing the Paris Hilton voice, the kind of like high pitched it's heart thing. And then the way she talks in the rest of the documentary is like much deeper and is total different tone. And her sister, Nikki Hilton, whose interview says things like, you know, she's a tomboy and she doesn't care about being glamorous and she just loves wearing sweatpants at home. And that was kind of an attempt, I think to like rebrand her in the public eye but it didn't it didn't fully land yeah i do and i but i do think that i do think that she's putting on a character for mm. sure um of course, like, but like no one could be like that all yeah, the time yeah, like, yeah yeah but then it's also like i feel as though the documentary didn't p- portray very well who the character who the real person is mm-hmm. but she was like oh you know i just like lounging around in sweatpants and it's like i think every single person in the whole world 
Even if they are glamorous. Even if they're glamorous, (laughs) wears sweatpants at some point. Like, all of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills are in track pants at home. So, I don't know. But then I also have a few few friends who are friends with her who have literally said to me that she's a real legend and she's super smart and she's super low-key and she's really onto it. So, I can believe both sides. To have pioneered a lot of this like modern social media influencing in the way that she definitely a hundred percent did in the noughties requires an ability to understand the media and understand our culture's obsession with fame and to kind of play off of that but yeah I, I felt the same where it wasn't like you got this very very clear idea who she actually was in the documentary and you saw this like clean line between who she is and this character she puts on but maybe that's the whole point it was really interesting how she said that her grandmother had always called her grace kelly and made her out to be this like very beautiful classy hollywood actress type of person and that's who she always wanted to be and she kind of made out that the release of the sex tape killed off this aspiration for how she could be seen in the public. So she just leaned fully, fully, fully into the blonde bimbo heiress thing because she just thought she couldn't escape it with the release of the sex tape. I thought that was interesting because that would just suck if you <laughs> yeah. just got pinned down as being this one thing. And because you're smart, you realize that the public is never going to accept you for being anything else. So you're just like, fine, I'm just going to milk this for as much as I can. Her perfumes made $3 billion. Can you get over that? That was like the most shocking part of the whole documentary. But remember they came out and everyone had the Paris Hilton perfume or the Britney Spears perfume? I had the Britney Spears perfume. I had the Britney Spears fantasy and the J-Lo glow. Remember? Yes. Yeah. I had Britney Spears. I don't know if it was fantasy. It was blue. I feel like it was something else, but... It actually smelled pretty good. Mm-hmm. Better than now. <laughs> yeah. And then another thing that I found interesting about it is it just perfectly showed, I think someone mentioned it in the documentary, one of her friends or something, but someone mentioned how when we look at actors and celebrities and all of these people that we watch on TV or anyone in the public eye, we don't want to see trauma and we don't want to see pain and we don't want to see anything that's negative and not positive and not easy because we're looking to these people to be kind of a distraction from the real world and i feel like with paris hilton and with that sex tape if you'd we'd stopped for two seconds to think this is an 18 year old girl this is so so horrible that this is getting leaked to the public and there's adults making jokes about her and that's so bad for her mental health and blah 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 then we would have we would have thought all of those things but because you just want it to be easy and because you just want to turn away and because you just want to laugh. Like, that's why we laughed at Britney Spears having a breakdown. That's why you want to, like, turn away from all of these intense things to just see the easy. Yeah, and it's like the Alexis Nyers interview that we mm. did where she was a member of the Bling Ring, which is, like, very interesting because there's a lot of similarities, I think, between her and with the Paris Hilton story and the Bling Ring were very inspired by Paris Hilton and actually broke into Paris Hilton's house. Um and she, that was the same thing where our cultural understanding of Alexis Nyers and the bling ring was based on this really two-dimensional idea of like bimbo young girl obsessed with celebrities is hot and wears Louboutin stilettos to court and is unrepenting or whatever when everyone, including Emma Watson, who played her in the movie, including Sofia Coppola, including Nancy, Nancy Jo Sales for Vanity Fair, knew this was a girl who had been abused sexually as a child who was a heroin addict by the time she was 16 who had neglectful parents and who got caught up in this 
like criminal enterprise while she was going through this horrendous time behind the scenes and everyone kind of actively chose to turn it into Mm. a much more two-dimensional easy to digest thing because we see teenage girls or young girls as being like very disposable i think yeah yeah i just found that such a funny or i found that just such an interesting point because that's what we do and it's still to this day what people try to do with things like Kanye West you know mm. if Kanye West is going on a Twitter rant people will try really hard to be like oh it's just Kanye on a Twitter rant or laughing or mm-hmm. turning away and then you have to have other people in your face being like this is a man who's come out and said that he suffers from bipolar disorder and then the other part of the documentary which feels like it could have been its own thing Mm. if we're going to keep criticizing the Which, yeah person um was that paris hilton revealed for the first time ever she's never spoken about it publicly that when she was a teenager she started acting out and her parents sent her to a bunch of different kind of reform schools and camps and things to try and straighten her out my parents actually did the same thing to me but they <laughs> yeah they sent me to um another like some twist. kind of yeah some kind of i can't even remember what it was like a summer camp thing that's meant to straighten out naughty kids wow yeah i just got moved to a super christian all girls school did you <laughs> yeah yeah or i had to wear a skirt down to my fucking ankles and just <laughs> wanted to die for the first six months i just got stockholm syndrome into embracing it the final one which was this school called provo canyon school in utah which is still running to this day Um, And basically Paris Hilton alleges in the documentary that the kids there are subject to emotional abuse, physical abuse, that there's also sexual abuse. And then her allegations were backed up by three other survivors who went on the record speaking about how abusive their time was there. And that the records show that there have been 53 reports of physical abuse and 23 reports of sexual abuse at this place where Paris Hilton was for 11 months. They um, were beaten, yelled at and hit. They were put in solitary confinement. They were watched, allegedly watched naked in the shower and they had pills prescribed to them that they were supposed to take every day. And when Paris didn't take hers because they made her feel like a zombie, she got caught not taking them and was put in solitary confinement. The kind of insinuation in the documentary is that a huge amount of the kind of modern... Paris Hilton persona was built out of that traumatic experience that she had. She says that she doesn't think she ever would have done the sex tape um, if she hadn't been through that abusive experience. And that is like certainly, certainly true that people that go through childhood abuse and trauma are more likely to accept or be in abusive relationships. She talks about how five of her romantic relationships have featured physical abuse and how she attributes that to her experience at this school. It's so awful and so heartbreaking. And I think the only criticism we would have around it is it, it kind of features like a 20 minute chunk towards the end of the documentary where it is really by far the most interesting thing that's explored and could have been its whole feature length film mm. on its own yeah and then paris talks about how she has horrible insomnia she's scared to go to bed at night because she has a recurring nightmare that she's getting kidnapped by two men which is literally how they take you to provo canyon school so two men come into your house in the middle of the night your parents know obviously but they mm. didn't know all of this other stuff that was going on at all paris had never told her parents until the documentary um and they come into the, your house in the middle of the night and drag you screaming from your bed so you literally think you're getting kidnapped that's how you go to the school it's so horrendous and then yeah these other survivors were on the record talking about it and all of them were saying that they have um 
ongoing trauma and ongoing like it affected all of their lives in really really severe ways yeah and i think it was really important to see the other survivors because it kind of put what paris went through in context because i do think as a society that we really really struggle with people who are hyper privileged to be able to see them as victims Mm. so i think having it definitely had a big impact on me seeing all of her other classmates talk about the ways it's affected them because as like embarrassed as I am to admit this, it like gave extra weight to what she was saying from my perspective because I think that when someone is that wealthy, that when they complain about things or they talk about bad things that have happened to them, there's like a like hot, nasty part of your brain that's like questioning how bad it really was or how valid what they're saying actually is and also because of the way we view things through social media now Mm. you think that people are happy when they can really be not happy at all so you're looking at paris hilton traveling the world you're looking at her posting she's never been photographed in the same outfit twice which she gloated about which i find horrendous yeah and she not very sustainable yes (laughs) and she i know i'm like paris we all hate billionaires and we all try to be sustainable because we're all the climate is the earth is dying but exactly like you see her closet filled with clothes you see her traveling the world you see her posting things looking really really happy so then and so then you're thinking well how bad can it really be and then it's showing her wide awake because she can't sleep because when she sleeps she has these recurring nightmares and it's just it i think it perfectly shows why social media is so bad for us Exactly. I actually read just an hour before it came out, just like an hour before we started recording this podcast, a story in Forbes about how the provost school is actually part of a bigger recurring problem in America for what they call the troubled teen industry, which is basically this micro industry of tough love, quote unquote, schools where teenagers are treated in like very abusive ways and parents pay a lot of money for the privilege of their kids being treated that way because they're taught that it's like a last resort for naughty kids who are acting up and it especially affects very wealthy parents. Which is so wild because you're sending your kids away to this place to get abused and traumatized. So they will come back and they will be bitter because they're traumatized and they're too scared to even speak about it. Paris Hilton never even told her parents. Yeah, and her mum was basically saying, you know, she, I couldn't, it, I felt very, um, what's the word, like Serena Vanderwoodson in Gossip Girl. Mm-hmm. I couldn't stop thinking about that when I was watching it. The whole thing was that she had this mum that was, okay, yes, probably invested in the public image and persona of her, but she said, you know, I had a 16-year-old daughter who I could not stop sneaking out of the house to go clubbing. And I was really scared something bad was going to happen to her. And the thing she was scared was going to happen to her by her going clubbing were ironically the things that happened to her by her sending her somewhere Mm. to keep her away from this thing, which is like really tragic. This writer called Maya Salovitz spoke to Forbes about a book she wrote in 2006, which is called Help at Any Cost, How the Troubled Teen Industry Cons Parents and Hurts Kids and said these programs are based on the premise that today's teens are so out of control and morally compromised that only the most extreme and harsh tactics can keep them in line they think that the answer is to isolate them deprive them and eventually break them and it's like that poor little rich girl thing where i feel like the reason this is so prevalent is because people don't want to hear it about rich kids they don't want to feel empathy for rich kids they don't want to talk about rich kids going through difficult things because Mm yeah it's so wild and then it also reminds me obviously it's not the same because uh the nickel boys was about reform schools in the u.s for probably underprivileged kids Mm. but that that 
only just came to light so the nickel boys is a fictional book based off real real life reform schools all around america um for predominantly boys i think black and white boys but Mm. there's um all of these allegations of abuse now coming out and all of these literal allegations of um them murdering the kids there and burying them in the backyard it's it's like what the fuck Mm. i think the problem is that anywhere where there are vulnerable children unfortunately it just seems to be the truth that attracts in certain cases a certain type of person who like enjoys that power dynamic and i think that's why you see this at any institution where there are a lot of children and not that many adults it tends to always lead to some sort of abusive power structure because i guess it's like how we talk about how the police force seems to now attract bullies or attract racist people because um you know you're going to be protected and you know you're going to have access to people. It's like these schools tend to do the same thing. Mm. So very commendable that Paris Hilton used that platform to speak out, out about that issue. I just think that it probably needed to be done with a more sophisticated eye. But it's great because since she spoke out about it, a lot of other survivors have come forward about Provo. So it will likely be shut and there'll be proper investigations done. So she has really kicked off something massive and she would have helped so many survivors and one of the women she spoke to in the documentary basically said that um we know behind the scenes a lot of celebrities who've been to schools like this who've been through experiences like this and you're the only one that's ever agreed to go on the record so it's super brave yeah i wonder who else has been there that's so horrible i know good chat Um, thank you everyone for listening we're gonna wrap it up now um and we'll be back in your ears on saturday with a very exciting interview that we can't wait for you to hear yes cannot wait for you to hear this one um please rate review and subscribe we know we say it every week but your reviews really make us happy and they help boost us in the charts which which means that we can spend more time and energy on awd um also give us a follow on instagram please at afterward drinks podcast And we will see you next week. See you next week, guys. Bye. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.